Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. On a mission to bring the benefits of sport to kids everywhere, they go beyond technology to provide leaders with professional development and relationship building, and to work with sports-based organizations to address issues of accessibility and equality. To learn more, find them at League Apps com or as league apps on all of the social networks now here's the host of the show longtime soccer broadcaster and voice of united soccer coaches dean linky i am dean linky this is the united soccer coaches podcast it is presented by league apps and as you know it is the start of the college soccer season my favorite time of the year as i dedicate a lot of my broadcast time to college soccer i love it And I hope you do too. Tomorrow night, the reigning national champions for D1 men's soccer, Syracuse, led by Ian McIntyre, will be in Happy Valley to take on Jeff Cook and the Penn State Nittany Lions. Ian McIntyre, your reigning United Soccer Coaches Coach of the Year, will kick off the show. After him, we'll stay in New York and head out to the U Albany women's soccer coach and visit with Shade Allende. Albany is where Nicole Hercules attended. We all know what she's done for the black soccer coaches community, and she is now on the board of directors. She recommended Shade, who just took on Kia McNeil and Brown for the second year in a row, where they had two black women coaches on the sideline. Historical, and we hope to make more history like that. Sade is on the show. On Sunday on the Big Ten Network at 1 o'clock, big-time non-conference women's soccer matchup as Jeff Hostler's Michigan State Spartans, they won the Big Ten regular season last year, will take on Nate Norman's Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Nate now in his sixth year at his alma mater, coaching the women's team. He's done great things there. He's also been very open about his own struggles with mental health. I think that makes it more accessible for his players as well. Nate Norman, 1 o'clock Sunday on the Big Ten Network, taking on Michigan State, and he is on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. And in that sense of mental health and positive mindset, we end our show visiting with Lindsey Wilson, the founder of Positive Performance Training and the Mindset Coach Academy. How about that? Ian, Shade, Nate, and Lindsey. Great show, and it's coming to you after this message from our great presenting sponsor, League Apps. We bet you didn't get into this business for the back office duties. That's why we created League Apps, the industry's leading youth sports management platform, so you can spend less time with busy work and more time doing what you love. League Apps provides organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. Once again, here's the host of the show, Dean Linky. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. So pleased to be kicking off a jam-packed show with Ian McIntyre. He is the head coach of the Syracuse men's soccer team. They are your reigning national champions. He is also the reigning United Soccer Coaches D1 Men's Soccer Coach of the Year. I got to see him last year up on the big stage as he won that award, rightfully so. Syracuse impressive all the way through to the national championship with that 
We welcome in Ian McIntyre. Ian, thanks for kicking off this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast. Oh, thanks for having me on today, Dean. Yeah, Ian, look, I know you're in the present. We're going to talk about the fact that I've got the call tomorrow when you take on Penn State. That's Friday night as this show airs on Thursday. But winning a national championship is hard. I mean, it is really, really hard. You guys got it done. So I'm going to ask you to bask in that glory one more time and talk about that run, that experience, and what it has meant to you and to Syracuse. I think winning any soccer match is difficult, let alone if you can kind of string a few and and get on a kind of a hot run at the right time of the year. Um, And we've been on the other end, you know, it's uh, we've lost a lot of soccer matches here at Syracuse as well. So uh, trying to fully enjoy and appreciate uh, going on that run, regular season, ACC tournament, and then being fortunate to just kind of string some results uh, in November, December time. Um, but but very special. And anytime you can return back to campus with a piece of hardware, I want to ensure that your your players, your staff, and, and your fans can enjoy it. Can you kind of give us an idea of how much Syracuse embraced that national championship? Because I think it was Syracuse's first in men's soccer. Is that right? Was that your first national championship, Ian? Correct, yes. You return to campus three o'clock in the morning. Uh, it's snowing and uh, as the bus pulls in, you've you've got a big, uh, big crowd to, to just enjoy it. And I think that was what our takeaway uh, the most was just, you know, when even during that run to, to see our community, uh, to see Central New York, to see our alumni uh, base, just embrace the run and, and just enjoy that. You, you saw videos of at the Dome uh, during basketball games, uh, uh, everyone watching the games on the big screen and and just the, the noise that, that, that when that, that uh, Anthony Sinclair's penalty hit the back of the net um, and just uh, to, to have that moment here at Syracuse University was very special. It's great to hear Ian McIntyre because when you look at his background, you think he might be throwing a New York accent. He's clearly from across the pond. We'll get to know that story in a well, let's go right there right now. Let's hear your story, Ian. Where did you grow up and when did you come over to the States? I know I've got a twang, but I've been in central New York since 1992. Uh, had three years as a grad uh, grad coach grad assistant coach and uh, did my MBA at Fairfield University in Connecticut. But uh, I've been central New York for since 1992, came over as an 18 year old, just turned 18 and uh, played uh, for for coach uh, Jim Lennox at uh, Hartwick College for four years. And then was fortunate right after that to go with my assistant coach, uh, Carl Reese, who took the Fairfield job that spring of my senior year. And was fortunate to to go down and uh, was a a grad assistant coach uh, with Cole for uh, for three years. So yeah, Central New York uh, has been home. I I returned. I was so fortunate as a young twenty four year old to get a a head coaching job at uh, at uh, SUNY Oneonta Oneonta State um, as a Division One uh, head coach. You know, underqualified. Uh, very uh, very appreciative of. Um, uh, of them taking a chance on me. And then from there, I went to, to Hartwick for seven years before coming to Syracuse. So yes, yeah, Central New York, Oneonta, New York was was home for many years, uh, still has a, a very special place in my heart. 
it's difficult to leave uh, Oneonta, New York and go further north, but managed to do that and take my family here to Syracuse. So, uh, as I said, uh, uh, although still have uh, a bit of a twang, when I go back to England, they make fun of the way I speak and uh, uh, the same over here. Specifically, Ian, where did you grow up in England before coming over to the States at 18? Yeah, I was uh, East London. Um, family was um, uh, in East London. I lived in uh, in Essex, in, in Basildon, went to school in, in Southend. So my my local team would have been West Ham United. As I grew up, I, I played with Arsenal uh, as a youth player up until the age of, uh, of 16. Wasn't quite good enough uh, to make it at the highest level. Uh, played for Millwall uh, for a couple of years captain the England schoolboy team and then was recruited to come over to uh, uh, to the States. And uh, Liverpool fan, although I was a junior gunner going to watch uh, at the old Highbury, uh, when Arsenal weren't as sexy as they are today, it was uh, used to be 1-0 to the Arsenal and, and a very different back four. Now you're seeing the guys that I used to watch, uh, now they're the commentators with, with players like Lee Dixon uh, doing the Premier League games. But uh, um, yes, that was... That was my kind of uh, my my youth playing in 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 you know for some for some good teams, but but wasn't quite good enough uh, to 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 make it as a as a player over there, and was um, the the opportunity to come over to the states like like many uh, international uh, student athletes to to continue getting a good degree uh, as well as the, an opportunity to play at a high level was was that uh, was that moment and uh, didn't look back and. And that was, uh, as I said, 1992. Great to hear the voice of Ian McIntyre kicking off this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast. I'll have the call tomorrow, 6 Eastern, in Happy Valley, as Ian McIntyre will take on Jeff Cook's Penn State Nittany Lions at Syracuse and Penn State. And he said he wasn't good enough over there. He was plenty good when he came over here. You're talking about a guy who in 1995 was the United Soccer Coaches, then NSCA first-team All-American. He was the Hartwick Male Athlete of the Year. And then in 2001, not that long after leaving Hartwick, he went into the Hartwick Athletic Hall of Fame. And if I look at your coaching career, that was two years before you went back to your alma mater. So Hartwick, you mentioned Jim Lennox, Mooch Marnik, I think, went to Hartwick. There's so many legendary names. I mean, Hartwick is beloved by the association. You know this, right, Ian? Yeah, absolutely. Um, from... You know, Mooch, uh, Mooch recruited, um, you know, came over and in January 92, was on the sideline uh, watching our um, England schoolboy trials. Uh, he recruited both myself and my England roommate, who became my Hartwick uh, roommate, uh, Matt Lawrence, who would, you know, was probably the the best player on that Hartwick team. Uh, didn't maybe get the recognition during college, but would go on. Uh, to Captain Millwall uh, in an FA Cup uh, final against Manchester United. Matt does a, a great job over here as well, come, coming back and doing some radio and, and TV over here for some of the uh, Major League Soccer games. Um, but uh, yes, uh, Mooch recruited uh, me to come over. Then as I came over, he took the job in uh, with the US Soccer Federation. Uh, but Jim, uh, I still talked, you know, I was texting with Jim after our game. Uh, on Monday night and uh, uh, had dinner with him this summer. Um, it's uh, still a big part of uh, of uh, of my extended family and uh, yeah some of the some of the Hartwick guys and uh, when, when we can get together at uh, at the convention or when our paths cross it's a, it's a very special group of of former players 
uh, and certainly coaches as well. Ian, what have you taken into your success as a coach from those two gentlemen? First, Jim Lennox, what's your biggest takeaway from him in, you know, a shortened version? And also with Mooch Myrnick, what's your biggest takeaway from him developing you into one of the premier coaches in the country? Jim first um, coming over was just so impressed with his uh, the detail that he put into every training session, the detail for into games as well, and just that the knowledge was you know and I, and I felt I was coming from a from a good background uh, playing at Arsenal and then Millwall. Uh, my coaches, uh, you know, some legendary names like Pat Rice and uh, um, had uh, um, a real, I, I felt good background. And then it, it came to a different level being exposed to uh, the Hartwick program and uh, the expectations both on and off the field. My goodness, Jim's, Jim's forgotten more about the game than I know. And, uh, um, just a, a very special person to be around and, and, a, and a true mentor. Uh, Mooch didn't have as much time with him because during uh, uh, the time at, uh, uh, at Hartwick, but stayed in contact when he was uh, the Olympic uh, coach, when he was Colorado Rapids coach in, in Major League Soccer as well. Anytime he walked into a room, he had immediate uh, attention of everyone in there. Um, from his presence to uh, his physicality by just being in a room and and uh, and just the relationships that he made. Uh, and I, I'll always remember, you know, during some tough moments is, you know, you got a call from uh, from Mooch Meinick. Uh, it was a very special, uh, a special moment. But two, you know, uh, incredibly special uh, individuals that I was uh, blessed to have uh, um, uh, interaction with and, and obviously, you know, we miss Mooch so much. Uh, it's amazing how many years have, have passed now. But uh, very fortunate that our paths crossed on, um, you know, a, a cold January morning at Loughborough uh, University and uh, uh, how he uh, impacted my life and changed my life by uh, providing a, an opportunity to come over here to the States. I love that story. He changed my life in many ways as well. I was the assistant GM at the Colorado Rapids. We had a terrible first year. We were the worst team in the league. We brought in Mooch. We had these T-shirts, the Mooch is loose. And Ian, we were one goal away from winning the MLS Cup in his first season with the Colorado Rapids. And uh, you're right, he was always moving. I was never in better shape than when Mooch was with the team because he made me get my fat, you know what, out there and, and work out. I mean, that guy was a machine, as you know. So thanks for sharing those stories and going down memory lane. And I mean, just a quick soundbite, you clearly are aware that the association holds those two names in, in high regard. Absolutely. And and the same thing, you know, Jeff Tipping as well. Um, uh, another coach that has been, um, you know, any opportunity I had a time, you know, you sit down, you listen to these guys, right? And that's that's a big part of it, just to be around them and, and to talk football, you know, to have to watch many sessions that Jeff's put on uh, at the coaching convention as well. But another guy that, that always found time to, to have a uh, uh, you know the right story at the right time, it would normally with uh, with Jeff Tipping. It would normally be with uh, one of us younger guys buying him wine uh, and ensuring that his wine glass never uh, was empty. But um, uh, just a, just fun guys to be around and and you know if you can just pick up a few pieces, a few nuggets from these guys, then it, it's it really helps you can continue to develop as a young coach. 
Speaking of fun, the Big Ten Network is over the moon about having the reigning national champion. Of course, you knocked off Indiana in that national championship game. They've won a lot of titles, so that was a big win for you. I was actually representing the Big Ten Network for those games, and I was down on the sideline. I was so impressed by the size, speed, and skill of your team, Ian. You you put together a really good program there. How, how did you go about doing it? I mean, this is a superstar team. There's no shortcuts. And, and you know, our first year here, uh, Coach Maslin and myself, I think we won two games. I think we won three the next. There's no short. And we've had highs and lows. Uh, long. This is not a the challenge of, you know, you're competing in the Big Ten. You're competing in the ACC. You know, you, every game uh, is a daunting, wonderful challenge. And, uh, um, but they do prepare you that if you have a, if you're fortunate enough to, to get an invitation into the national championship, you, you've, you've really gone through the ringer and you feel that you're battle tested. Then you get yourself into the national tournament. And then it's, you know, it, it is that the, the magic of the cup, right? It is that, uh, that knockout tournament that if you can hang in there and if you can find ways now, look, we, we were probably a little bit fortunate in that championship game. It's uh, the game against Creighton in the final four was, you know, took a lot out of us as as I no doubt Pitt took out uh, um, against Indiana. To have the extra day's rest was was big, I think, from big from both programs. And and I, and I hope it improved the quality of the game as well. Uh, that's one takeaway. I, you know, I, I think all the games in the final four were were upbeat in you know uh fun exciting end-to-end uh, soccer matches and i think that was good for for our college game um but it's uh you know it's just uh you, you try to surround yourself with some good players and and some good coaches and i think the strength of our team uh last year uh was the was the depth that we had but it, it was also just everyone kind of buying into what we were trying to do and leaving it all out there and and fortunately uh, when that final penalty went in, it was us, but it, it could have so easily been Indiana as well. Beyond honored and delighted to kick off this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast with the top man for the Syracuse men's soccer team, Ian McIntyre. They're already off and rolling. 2-0 win over Providence to start the season. 3-0 win over Binghamton. Tomorrow night, 6 o'clock from Jeffrey Penn State, led by Jeff Cook, another fine man, another fine coach. I don't know how well you know Jeff, but Another excellent human being, just like you, Ian. Yeah, look, Cookie's uh, one of the best, uh, both on the field as well as off the field. And uh, uh, he's got a terrific team. This would be another fun uh, college matchup. And uh, um, we've had uh, last, you know, last uh, two, three years, some terrific matches with them. Uh, last year's game could have gone either way. And and I think, you know, we, we realise that we've got our hands full uh, on Friday night, but it'll be a, it'll be a fun one. And, and you're right. We've got uh, also some connections with uh, Coach Lawler uh, making the transition over uh, to Penn State last year. So we're going to completely ignore him during our time there in uh, in Happy Valley. Um, but uh, no, look, it's um, I'm happy for for Sean, and, and he's you know he's found a you know a, a wonderful coach to work alongside uh, in in Jeff Cook, and uh, an outstanding program that you know I I think uh, can make some real noise this year. Looking forward to the game tomorrow as they'll be in Happy Valley again. That'll start at six o'clock Eastern time on the Big Ten Network. 
Talk a little bit about what kind of style you like to play at Syracuse, if you can. You know, that, that's kind of an overused question, but I think you've now got an identity at Syracuse. What's the best way to explain it, Ian? I think when we're playing out, uh, our best soccer is is when we're on the front foot, when we're being brave and we're trying to impose uh, a high tempo and we're trying to get the ball forward and into good uh, attacking areas and, and creating overloads in areas and... and um, now that's easier said than done about against the the caliber of teams that were playing the same you know on on Friday against this wonderful Penn State team as well, but I, I think that's and and that is something Dean that that we kind of you know when you at the time we 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 jumped into you know we took the job at, at Syracuse and you're playing in the the Big East uh, at the time against the 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 Georgetowns and the Yukons and the Notre Dames and the, yet you're you're really you know, trying to work out how you can, you know, win soccer matches. And and I think we've, you know, we worked out that the best way was to, to get on the front foot and attack these teams rather than trying to absorb and uh, hang in games and, and kind of mess them up. We felt that probably our best form of defense was to be a, a, a aggressive. And, and that's the same when we moved into the ACC. Now, it's easier said than done when, you know, a Vidovich team is pinging the ball around or a Moose Wake Forest team is uh, uh, imposing their style. But I think we play our best soccer when we're, we're trying to get on the ball and we're getting our best players um, to try to dictate the tempo of the game uh, and and be aggressive um, and brave. Um, and as I said, easier said than done sometimes. But uh, if we can do that, then then I think we've got a chance. And, and if, you know, if, if we can... Uh, be you know be on the front foot in these kinds of games then then you hope that you can impose yourself on on most college soccer matches Ian if you've listened to even just one of this podcast over the last several years you know I love college soccer in fact I put it at the top I still think it plays a great role in developing players for the next level and I think your team is an example can you remind us this will test your brain a little bit, but it was only one year ago, Ian, so hopefully your brain is sharper than mine. Can you remind us the players that have moved on to the pros from last year's team? And then in your own words, as you look at this year's team, who are some players that you also see making that jump at any level? Because there's a lot of great levels. Even the USL level is a good home for, for college players. Dean, I, and I thank you for saying that. Thank you for all you know, all you do for our game and the support you have. Look, I, we can talk about you know what we don't have uh, in college soccer, but I, I think there's a you know I think it's the game's never been stronger from you know the 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 uh, watching the number of games you can watch now uh, to the quality of the productions of these games to the uh, the 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 quality of the games you're now seeing as well that uh, you know I'm very proud to be involved in in our college uh, college soccer environment and uh, um, there's there's a lot you know if if you're a college fan you know the men's soccer uh, uh, sport has never been stronger and. Uh, um, we all do face challenges because when you're when you do well, then your best young players um, have opportunities to move on. And uh, and I think we've demonstrated, hopefully here at Syracuse and a number of other uh, terrific programs, that players can move into the uh, to the next level and not just participate, but can have important roles and and can help our major league soccer or overseas. 
game continue to, to develop as well. So, yes, last year, the, the challenge, you know, we're a very new team. Uh, we lost uh, 15 guys from last year, nine guys that played in in that uh, uh, championship game against Indiana. Uh, we had five guys drafted. Uh, uh, Abdi Salem has had first-team minutes with Orlando. Uh, Levante Johnson's uh, had first-team minutes with Vancouver. Uh, Russell Sheely was drafted. Uh, Anthony Sinclair's playing with Real Salt Lake as well. Buster Solberg uh, has come back for his fifth year after uh, an injury, some injuries. So we're slowly getting him back in. And then Nate Apoku was uh, was signed uh, directly from the NCAA uh, to the Premier League with with Leicester City, um, and uh, a, another proud moment. And the challenges that we've had here at Syracuse are good problems over the last nine ten years. If your best young player signs with Major League Soccer, starting with Alex Bono, uh, through to players like uh, Julian Busher, Mo Adams, uh, Tejon Buchanan, uh, who's obviously Kamal Miller, who um, is now winning things because uh, he's got a certain uh, Messi in his side. So instantly he's uh, starting to win trophies um, to Miles Robinson. Uh, it, the challenges are replacing these guys and replacing these guys mid-season or kind of, you know, but in, um, but it's, it's a wonderful problem for coaches like me and, and, and other guys to, to see your players move on and have success at the ne next level. So this last year was, was very special is obviously what we accomplished here at, at Syracuse to be, but also with a world cup in the fall to see Tejon Buchanan and Kamal Miller competing in a world cup, and I think if if Miles Robinson hadn't have uh, had his Achilles injury, he would have had a really great chance of representing the U.S. So I do think college soccer uh, still has a a very important role to play in the development of our game here. I was so excited to ask you that question. Even more excited about your answer We're here with Ian McIntyre, reminding everybody that tomorrow at six o'clock, his team, the reigning national champs, will be in Happy Valley to take on Penn State. That game's at six o'clock followed by the team that he beat in the final, Indiana, taking on Washington, a doubleheader on the Big Ten Network. Just two more questions for Ian McIntyre. We'll let him get back to what he does best, hanging out with his soccer team, making them great. And, Ian, speaking of great, I can't have somebody with your acumen on without asking you about the Messi effect and what he's done. Can you, in your own words, just talk about it? Because it's just... It's marvelous. It's incredible. It's it's amazing. Yeah, it's the. It, I don't think there's anything uh, negative you can talk about with, with this. It's uh, look, we're just. Uh, it's fun to be a fan watching these games, and when you think you've seen it all, there's something a little bit more. Uh, and if it's a uh, a pass, but not just you know that. Uh, the the winning goal the other night, you know, you talk about the past, but then the ability to just continue and uh, and make it turn it into a one-two. That that vision where, when when we as coaches and announcers, you know, in your position as well, when you gasp and when you think you've seen it all and you see those moments, uh, and it's just uh, how someone can see the game at a completely different level. Um, they're, they're things that we all uh, appreciate. And uh, as I said earlier, to, to, to kind of live it through the life of Kamal Miller as well right now, uh, one of our guys who 
He's certainly, you know, to the seeing some of those midweek games up here at the Syracuse Soccer Stadium, you know, with the sleet coming down. And now he's playing, you know, down there, Fort Lauderdale, playing uh, with Messi in Miami. We all kind of um, smile and we're living vicariously through him right now. That is brilliant that you have that tie as well. I remember that just as I was asking the question. Final question, and you kind of already tipped your hat to it by calling out names like Tipping, like Lennox, like Myronick, but this is the United Soccer Coaches podcast. And again, in your own words, when you hear those three words, it used to be NSCAA. It's now United Soccer Coaches. What does that association mean to Ian McIntyre, the head coach of the reigning national champion Syracuse men's soccer team? I remember my first first one I went to and I was, um, uh, you know, at graduating and I think I went to an All-American uh, luncheon and I was amazed by, well, I was amazed by the number of tracksuits that were in a one area at the same time. And uh, as a young guy, it was uh, it was amazing that uh, uh, all these tracksuits could rally for as many hours. Um, but the education part and the ability to share information uh, was just and continues to be amazing. Uh, the ability for us as coaches to just spend time and uh, um, and uh, with, you know, so that's when, you know, uh, having interactions with uh, the Mike Noonans of the world and the Jay Vidoviches and uh, the Sashos uh, to just talk soccer and, uh, you know, uh, to, to be in that environment and the convention is special and then just the, the relationships and the friendships that we've made through the years. So certainly an educational part from initially licenses when I was first getting uh, into the game um, to those those friendships and and sometimes the other side of just getting together to to remember people as well. You know, you talk about the Mooch Minics of the world, a convention to get together to uh, to appreciate and and recognize guys that have had in, uh, impactful uh, moments in our lives. So, uh, yeah, the, the organization has as as has had and continues to have uh, a real integral part of, uh, of my continued development as a coach. I knew you're a great coach. Also great to know that you have a great humor as well. I think that levity probably makes you good at what you do. I will tell you, not to be a sycophant, but the Big Ten Network is over the moon to have Ian McIntyre and the Syracuse Orange on the Big Ten Network tomorrow night, 6 o'clock against Penn State. We'll be talking to you live on TV at halftime, Ian. I'm looking forward to that. Good luck against Penn State. Good luck the rest of the season as you try to defend with what sounds like a relatively new team, but you're doing great work, off to a great start, and you got our podcast off to a great start. Ian McIntyre, a real pleasure. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me on, Dean. Off and rolling, and we're going to stay in New York. As coming up, we're so proud to have a conversation with Shade Ainde, the head women's soccer coach for the University of Albany Great Danes women's soccer team. On August 25th at Brown, for the second year in a row, the game featured two black coaches, Kia McNeil, of course, a pioneer for the black soccer coaches community. Brown won that game, but Shade Ayende is an incredible story. She was a member of the U.S. Youth National Pool for the U14, U16, U17, U18, and U20 teams. She also, in 2007, was named to the then-named NSCAA Girls Youth All-America team. 
She was a superstar at Maryland, now in the Big Ten. When she was there, it was in the ACC. In 79 appearances over four seasons, she scored 16 goals and recorded 17 assists, including her highlight junior season, where she scored 10 goals with seven assists. The Terps advanced the NCAA round of 16 in 2011 and 2009, and the round of 32 in 2010 behind her great work. After spending some time at Stony Brook, she is now at U Albany, and she's an important part of the growing black soccer coaches community. And we look forward to talking to Sade after these messages on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Registration for the 2024 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Anaheim, California is now open. From January 10th through the 14th, connect with your coaching community and enhance your resume by attending over 200 education sessions taught by world-class instructors. Get the most out of your convention experience by adding meal functions and award ceremonies to your registration. And don't forget to visit the huge exhibit hall offering the latest in tech, equipment, and more. Register now by going to United Soccer Coaches Convention Org. Registering before August 23rd guarantees you the lowest price possible for the 2024 convention. So don't delay. We're staying in New York on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Ian McIntyre, the top man of Syracuse. And now we head to Albany where we meet the women's head coach, Shade Ayande. And Shade, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Great to have you on. Thanks for having me. Shade, if you've been listening to the podcast, I was extremely moved by the Legends event at the United Soccer Coaches Convention. I felt like it was the best event of the entire weekend. And off of that event, I have not come down. And it's because of the great work of Nicole Hercules and now moving forward, Andrew Richardson and all of his great work and the people that came before him, like Lincoln Phillips and Mike Curry and so many others that we've had on each and every week since that event. Were you at the convention, Shade? Were you there this year? So I was at the convention. I had to leave before the Legends Social, but I very much was able to pop into sessions with some of our black soccer coaches. I was able to go to our meeting that we have annually. And to be honest, I think it was Nicole who found me. I was playing. They had the soccer tennis tournament probably about five or six years ago. She found me and was just like, you got to come join us. And since then, to be honest, the just camaraderie, the networking, the just being able to be around such great coaches that look like me has been pretty fantastic. Um, I think especially during the COVID times, they were a huge, huge asset for me and just growing as a coach and even just finding more people to connect with, more people to learn from, more people to even just have soccer conversations with. I know you're at your second year at Albany, and I can tell you're very humble, but I really do want to learn your story. So if you don't mind, take the time to tell me where you grew up and the different stops you had. I know you played at Maryland, which, of course, I love. I know you played when they were in the ACC. Of course, I'm on the Big Ten Network. I'll be on there tomorrow night with Ian McIntyre taking on Penn State. But take your time and include your family and tell us your story. Is that okay? Yeah. So... I grew up on Long Island. I'm from Long Island originally. My parents, they met in college. They are, my dad's from Nigeria, my mom's from Grenada. So two different backgrounds for me. I think it was great because I was around a lot of friends that had come from different backgrounds, different cultures. Most of my friends, when they 
were around my parents, they, they probably were just like way, I guess it's different than when I would be around their parents where my parents are a little bit more strict and they very much had a big focus for me. I had three other sisters um, on all of us being academically driven and all of us being just trying to become the best people we could be. So I attribute a lot of who I am to my parents because they have very much raised me and my sisters all and I mean, I commend them. I assume it's the best way, but I'm sure everyone else will have their own family um, or decide that their family probably had the best way of raising their kids. But my parents, I think, did a great job. I mean, having three other sisters, we all had the opportunity to play soccer. We all had the opportunity to pursue whatever we wanted to do. But my dad grew up around the game and he very much shared that passion with us. He actually coached me and my sisters throughout our time in youth soccer. Um, he worked with East Meadow Soccer Club. So that's where we ended up playing for honestly my entire career. I then, when I came back into coaching world, that's where I coached club for a bit. So it's funny because I joke with recruits all the time and I'm just like, yep, what other clubs have you been at? I'm, I'm a one girl, <laughs> one club team my entire life from playing to coaching. Um, and for my sisters and I, I think being able to have kind of this passion around soccer for all of us, it helped guide us in, in a lot of things in life. I mean, to this day, we all still, we all still root for Chelsea, even though last year was a rough, rough time to be a Chelsea fan. We all very much, when we come together, like, we're watching games, we're doing things that are surrounding soccer. And even for my mom, who didn't grow up necessarily playing soccer, um, she has now become a huge soccer fan. Usually she's rooting against whoever my dad's rooting for. Um, but I think, again, for our family and our family dynamics, it is great. Um, from a young age, I was fortunate where I think my older sister paved the pathway a little bit. And she is three years older. So I would sometimes jump into her training sessions. I would go and play with her um, all the time. And a lot of times I'm sure she was just like, oh, go find your own friends. But in reality, it really helped me grow as a player. And for me, I was fortunate where I had tons of opportunities to um, compete at the highest levels. My club team was very good. We had at East Meadow, we had two very good teams. And even at that time, Albertson was probably the third team with all three of us always competing to be the best team in New York state. Um, for us, I think it was great to have such a competitive environment within our age group. And then even expanding out of that, like within region one, back when ODP was really, really big. Like I just remember how many, how many players that I got to compete with at a young age. I mean, anywhere from, uh, Christy Mewis to uh, Crystal Dunn, like a lot of those players that are still playing, I got to grow up playing with and playing against. So um, I think for me, like I had opportunities to play with the youth national team, even going into Maryland, I got the chance to get called into the U20s um, and compete with them up until um, there was a World Cup year, but I got to compete in a bunch of the camps leading up to that. So for me and my soccer journey, I think I'm fortunate where I've had a lot of opportunities to play with some really good players. And I think that even as I graduated and got out of college, the desire to continue to play, it led me to go play over in Sweden for a year. 
It was an awesome experience. I love the Swedish culture. Cannot complain at all about that experience. But for me, I had this itch to get into coaching and to kind of find my pathway. So I played for a year and I came back and I dove into coaching. I think it was right before I left to go play that I bumped into Jill Ellis at a tournament. And I was just like, yeah, I'm starting out coaching. I'm kind of feeling it out. And she encouraged me to go and take my C course. So when I came back from Sweden, that was one of the first things that I did is I enrolled in a C course and kind of from there have done my C, I've done my B, I've done the United Soccer Coaches, National, Advanced National. Um, I just finished the coach credentialing program. So I for sure like to learn. Um, And I think United Soccer Coaches, the first course I took was through them. Um, And that was right after I graduated, taking the national license right on Long Island. And it kind of was eye-opening um, because I think a lot of times you, you're you just like, well, it's soccer coaching. You played it, you should know how to coach it. Um, where there's so much more that goes in behind the scenes and so much more that even transitioning into the college game from club, I think <laughs> I haven't had a year where my kids aren't just like, so what do you do during the rest of the day? And I'm just like, we do a lot of work. We do a lot of things behind the scenes to make sure everything's moving properly, to make sure that you guys are prepared for games, make sure you guys have what you need. Um, But I think for me, like my experiences in being a player in the college game led me and shifted me to wanting to get more involved in the college game. Because originally I started off and was just doing club. Um, An opportunity opened up at Stony Brook, which for me made it easy for me to still do club, but also take a step into the college game. And the more I was coaching in the college game, the more I started to drop some things from the club side. Um, Eventually at Stony Brook, after our third season there, the head coach I was with, he got an opportunity to go to Yale. He asked if we want to go with him, me and the other assistant. And it was an opportunity that felt like, it was a new challenge, but a fun challenge. Um, working with an Ivy League type of kid is a different type of coaching. Um, but for me, I think going there, um, having the opportunities at Yale, having the opportunities at Stony Brook, it's kind of prepared me to jump into this role as a head coach at Albany. And so far, it's been, I think, going pretty well. <laughs> um, we're starting to get into a flow within our season and hopefully we can be able to compete and and honestly do a little bit better than last year um and i mean the goal right now is the whole in america east championship Sade, i have to tell you i love opening with that blanket question of telling the story that might be the best answer i've ever heard in a long time of podcasts breaking it down including your family your youth club that was Phenomenal. Thanks for taking the time to do that, because from that, I have a lot of questions. One, though, I want to start with something that I've been doing more of because I'm even guilty of it. I'll talk about the impact my mom and dad have, but I'll forget to say their names because, you know, they're real people, too. So let's start with that. Let's hear the names of your mom and dad and the names of your other three sisters, if we can. Can we start there? Yeah. So my dad is Akeem. My mom is Lydia. Then my older sister is Sherry. Um, she's three years older than me. And then I have two younger sisters that are twins. They're Sally and Safi. So a lot of S's. All right. Awesome. And then you said your dad had been involved in soccer for quite some time. Did he play at different levels? 
college or pro before jumping in as a coach or? No. So my dad actually came here for college. Um, that's where my mom and him met. They went to Medgar Evers in the city, fell in love, I guess. And the rest is history. But um, for my dad, he's always been around the game. Um, growing up in Nigeria, it's just street soccer. And it's uh, like during the school day when you have time to go into the yard or after school. So for him, it was just growing up around the game. And um, I think being able to coach me and my sisters, like both of my parents work full time. My dad's an accountant. My mom was working within substance abuse, abuse counseling at the time. And for my dad, I think it was a, a big chance for him to just have time with us, um, us as in me and my sisters. Um, but I think for him, it also was a connection that was easy for us to make, um, especially for how much he loved the game. It was something that he could easily share with us. Um, but I think no matter what, even now, he's out of coaching. Um, he coached at East Meadow even after I finished after my sisters finished for a couple of years. And it's funny because if I want to talk soccer, I can always reach out to him, but he also will never try to be like, you should have done this, this or that. Um, he very much is just a, someone that I can just chat with. And um, I think it's great because it it's nice to have someone that's on your side, but will try to remain unbiased. And I think, even for my mom, like she won't know the tactical or technical pieces of it, but she's always just going to support whatever I'm doing. So two different backgrounds, but both of them have been really, really honestly influential in just every piece of how I've grown up. Do they try to get to your games or in today's world of streaming, do they try to watch all your games, Shade? They'll definitely watch all of them. I think... I'm a little superstitious at times. So if they come to a game and we lose, I ban them from coming for a while. <laughs> um, so right now my mom is banned from games because we lost <laughs> with her here. Um, but my my parents, again, they'll find a way to get to games, especially because we get to play a lot of things that are within um, driving distance of us, which is within driving distance of Long Island. Um, I'll see them at a couple of games a year. Real quick before we dive into your matchup against Kim McNeil and Brown, can you update us on where your three sisters are? What are they doing right now? So my older sister lives in Austin. She's a pharmacist. And then my younger sisters, one of them is a teacher on Long Island. Um, she teaches math. And then the other one just finished her PhD at Hopkins. Um, so she is just getting into work life, um, but she's still down in Maryland. All right. I'm glad that uh, you remind us that you spent time at Yale. As we know, Kia McNeil, one of the true leaders as well with the Black Soccer Coaches community, doing incredible things at Brown. I know that's a tough team to play against, but it's also historic now. For back-to-back -back years, we think it's the first time that two Black coaches went against each other at the women's game. I think that's fair to say that it's probably accurate. That's a big statement. What does that mean to you personally to – be part of that historic moment, not just this year, but last year as well. I mean, Brown coming from the Ivy League, I already knew how strong they were, but I think he is someone that I look up to. Like she has been able to find a ton of success um, on and off the field. Her players love her. What she's been able to do at Brown has been amazing. Like it, 
it's honestly like goals. <laughs> um, simply put, like you, if you're doing something like what Key is and been able to do at Brown, then you're doing a lot of right things. And uh, I think even just being able to add that game, um, to be honest, when she first asked, I was like, oh, that's going to be, that's going to be really tough. Like Brown is very good. Um, but I think for even our players and the way that I want this program to grow, being able to face teams that, that make it to the NCAA tournament every year, teams that when we win our conference the next time, we're going to face when we go to the NCAA tournament, being able to see those ahead of time and being able to last year, we lost two zero. Um, and it was a super competitive game this year. Honestly, again, Brown is very good. Um, we may have lost six zero, but we competed throughout the entire game. And for our players, I think here at Albany, being able to see that level of competition and to see what the top of our league looks like or the top of our of division one soccer looks like is huge um it's not every day you get to play against a team that will likely be in the top 25 by the end of this year um and i think for our players being able to just see how they play and try to solve pieces of the game as we're in it it is something that will prepare us for us to conference and for us to feel good about um hey if we can compete in those games we can compete in any game um, again, I think from even just uh, playing against Kia standpoint, I, I love playing against Kia. She's <laughs> so humble. She's just such a good human. Like it, it's worth it. Um, even if we know when we go into those games, it's going to be one of the tougher games of the year. Um, but I think no matter what, like being able to support other black coaches, especially other black female coaches it's something that I value. Um, I'm hopeful that we can maybe get American on the schedule next and play Marsha, who I love. Um, maybe get a West Coast trip later in the future and play Denisha or play Christine. But I think there are a ton of different opportunities to maybe expand this out and not just be us going up Brown to get beat. <laughs> <laughs> it was Shadi Ayende, the head coach at Albany and part of the Black Soccer Coaches community, just taking on Kia McNeil. Great words to say about Kia. Truly appreciate that. And I'm glad that you mentioned that you played with Crystal Dunn because, and I've asked this question pretty much every week, but, you know, obviously the women's team didn't do as well as we thought. But the fact that you see Crystal Dunn out there, you see Lynn Williams out there, you see Sophia Smith out there. You see a lot more players that are black and brown at the highest level, I think tips to the fact that we need more people that look like them coaching them. Can you add on to that? There aren't a ton of black women soccer coaches. There aren't even a ton or as many women coaches as I'd like to see. Um, I think there's a huge piece of when even I'm recruiting, I could ask, most of our kids, they've never been coached by a woman, let alone a black coach or a black woman. Um, for me, I think there's a piece of representation that as I go out into this world, I know that I represent more than just myself. And I think that having more people that look like me would be amazing. Um, but I think sometimes it's giving those coaches the opportunity. And that's where I'm fortunate, Albany gave me an opportunity to step up into a head coaching role. Um, I think for 
any female coach and any black female coach trying to just find like mentors, people that will help push you, people that will support you, people that will honestly just tell you to take a chance because I think there's some reservation for a lot of female coaches on maybe taking that next step, making that jump because what if we fail? <laughs> we fail <laughs> in general, in everything in life. There are moments where we will find our lows and that we won't find the successes that we want. But I think the more that we can get women and women of color into head coaching positions, then it's almost the, if you can see her, you can be her mentality. And like, I know Sarah, who I worked with at Stony Brook and at Yale and um, she's still over at Yale as a head coach. Like that is something that she would say all the time. And for her, it was because she had Leslie Galmore as her head coach. And that was something that inspired her and her, her journey and her desire to become a head coach. And I think back and I'm just like, oh, I wish I even thought of that when I was going through the process of, oh yeah, like I never even put two and two together of, having a male coach versus a female coach because all we see especially at the youth stages is we're coached by males we're coached by males throughout most of our career so i think having and increasing that representation is huge and important i always if i see a young coach especially a young female i try to let them know that i'm here if they need anything but I think having more coaches that are making themselves available, making themselves pre like present, being accessible. Again, if I ever have a question, I know that I can shoot Kia text. I think that it's fortunate. I have been lucky to have Paula up at Wisconsin where I can literally call or text her at any point in time and she will answer. Even Brian, who was my coach at Maryland, I can shoot him a text. I could give him a call at any point in time and those are the connections that I've been able to make. And those are the people that I've been able to honestly lean on a little bit, especially as a younger, newer, first time head coach, being able to have those resources has been great. Um, but I think also recognizing that sometimes I'm going to fail and just trying to figure out, all right, if I fail, what's the next step? How do we get out of whether it's a loss or move on to the next game? What do we do next? is probably the biggest adjustment is just realizing like, it's okay, <laughs> you're gonna lose some games, but we have to make sure that we're doing a lot of the little pieces and making sure that we're developing our student athletes into amazing young women and making sure that we're helping them not just on the soccer side, we're helping them behind the scenes and helping them with all the other pieces of life that are gonna come at them. Um, but I think, again, for me, being able to see more female coaches in the game, especially female coaches of color, like I'm all for it. I, I know for some of our players or recruits, if they even mention anything about coaching, I, I'm just like, yes, yes, we need you. Please continue to go along this path. Like we want you in coaching. Well, and that's what I felt on that Saturday night. And I think that's what I felt ever since Nicole Hercules arrived on the scene. And I know there were, Great people before that, I already mentioned a couple of them, like Lincoln Phillips and Mike Curry. But there's a different energy around what is happening with the Black soccer coaches community since Nicole arrived. She's now handed it off to Andrew Richardson and a great, because she was doing the work of five people, a great leadership team. But 
I know you weren't there that Saturday night, but I'm sure you've heard enough about it and you've been involved enough with the black soccer coaches community that you know that it's real. Like it's real what's happening with the black soccer coaches community. Tell me you feel that. Oh yeah. I mean, from even five, six years ago to now, there's a huge buzz. There's just a lot of a lot, a lot of new faces. I think that Nicole's done a great job of just expanding the community and the outreach has been great. Even with Andrew and the board that he's established, um, having more coaches that are in different areas, just trying to make sure that we're bringing in as many black soccer coaches and connecting with them because it is something that's super important is having that support from a group like that, especially as a black coach, having that advocacy group behind you is huge. I mean, we're talking today because Nicole is honestly just trying to make sure that some of our newer, younger coaches or some of our coaches that maybe have been quieter in the background are starting to come and be in the forefront of things. And um, I don't know if Nicole even told you, she's, she's an alum of Albany, so I think that also gives me a little extra bump from her side. <laughs> she didn't tell me. She's actually incredibly humble while she's doing such great things. Look, I want to end with this because you are a young coach. And to me, it doesn't matter the color of your skin. You also were an assistant coach. So I always like with so many, you know, we got 30,000 members. A lot of them are assistant coaches for a long time. I'd like for you to talk about how you put your coaching staff together and what was important to you to have as part of your coaching staff. Can you do that for me? Yeah. So it's actually funny because last season, I only went into the season with one assistant and that was very much on purpose from the standpoint of, I didn't want to just hire anyone. I was fortunate where I was able to hire Gabe Kleiner as my First assistant, and he joined me prior to the season last year. Um, he's a, a great soccer mind. He does stuff on the coaching education side. He is, uh, honestly, we play devil's advocate and we'll talk soccer all day, any day. Um, but I think for our staff, trying to then add in and balance that out with a goalkeeper coach that one. I wanted someone that would be solely focused on the goalkeepers and would be able to help our goalkeepers grow. Um, but also someone that we thought would help balance us out because Gabe and I are talk soccer, sometimes a little too serious, sometimes a lot of sarcasm where we need someone that would bring some different type of energy. And so um, we went through last season with just me and Gabe and it was a lot, but to be honest, I don't regret it because if we, if I just hired anyone it probably would have just caused more chaos than it would have been to create a staff that would work well together and so going into last spring I was able to find a young female goalkeeper coach who had recently got out of playing her name's Natalie um, she played at Northeastern and for us I think that was a good fit for our goalkeepers um, and a good fit for having someone that has a different type of energy than me and Gabe and bring something different. Like when I think of a staff and for me, I know that in my assistant roles, it was something that was important to my previous head coach was 
I don't care if our players don't connect with me or they're the closest with me, as long as they have someone on staff that they can connect with. And so I've always had that in the back of my head that if a player feels most comfortable going to Natalie or to Gabe, I'm okay with that as long as I have someone on staff. And for us balancing things out, just making sure that we have the different personalities, the different people that we fit in different ways that will help them on the soccer field. Like I think all of our players are super comfortable coming to us if they have soccer questions. Um, I think all of our players are super comfortable coming to at least one of us if they have a issue, whether it's on the field or off the field. But I think it's super important for us to have not three people that are all the same um, because just like with our team, I don't want players that are all the same or similar. That's a great answer. I am actually so sorry that it's taken me this long to spend this kind of time with you. I've really enjoyed it, Sade. I hope you have as well. Your journey's awesome. I really respect the love for your family with the three sisters and the role your mom and dad played. I love that Marilyn created this kind of idea of wanting to coach more and Jill Ellis seeing it in you. That's a pretty smart person. So, you know, if she sees it, she sees it right. And the fact that you're able to share so much of your story, I'm not one of your biggest fans. So I'll be pulling for you from afar, Sade. And uh, I wish you all the best of luck as you continue to represent. And thank you so much for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast as we kick it off New York style. Ian McIntyre from Syracuse and Elby's not that far away, right? From Syracuse. I mean, help me with my geography. I'm still trying to figure out all the geography, which is bad because <laughs> I'm from New York. Um, but no, it's like two and a half, three hours. Okay. So it's further than I thought, but New York's a, a pretty big state and you're pretty great. Sade, thank you so much for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Dean. Thank you, Sade. And thank you, Nicole Hercules. Glad to learn that Albany is a special place for you as well. We are off and rolling. Ian McIntyre, Sade. On Sunday at 1 o'clock, I will be back on the Big Ten Network for a big non-conference women's game as Michigan State, led by Jeff Hostler, they ran the table in the regular season last year and made it to the Big Ten Tournament Championship game where they played Penn State as well. Jeff Hostler won titles at Grand Valley State, and he has immediately turned Michigan State into a national power. Michigan State will face Notre Dame, another national power, and now in his sixth season, Nate Norman, a man who played for the Carolina Railhawks. I called his games. He actually joined me in the broadcast booth for a game, and I'll have Nate Norman taking on Michigan State on Sunday, and I'll have Nate Norman, the head coach of the Notre Dame women's soccer team, next on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. College services registration is open for the 2023-24 season. Now is the time to register your program and begin receiving the benefits of United Soccer Coaches membership. As a member, you gain access to coaching resources, general liability insurance, awards and rankings eligibility, and so much more. As the home of all coaches, United Soccer Coaches serves to support coaches, recognize your athletes' accomplishments, and advocate for meaningful change that protects coaches coaches and players. Register your program today by visiting unitedsoccercoaches.org backslash college. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. What a great show we have today, jam-packed with talented people. No different than our next guest, Nate Norman, who is now in his sixth year leading the Notre Dame women's soccer team, a team that 
is always making runs to win the ACC, always making runs to get in the College Cup. And a man I know pretty well because I used to call his games when he played for the Carolina Railhawks back in the day. Nate Norman, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Yeah, good to be here. I also remember doing a game with you, if you remember that. Right. I got to actually sit in the booth with you, which was a fun time. Um, that, never forget that moment, but those are, those are good times back in Carolina for sure. Well, it's exciting because we go full circle. I started with Ian McIntyre because tomorrow I have Syracuse against Penn State. Then on Sunday at 1 o'clock on the Big Ten Network, it's the Notre Dame women against last year's regular season champion, the Haas, Jeff Hostler at Michigan State. So that's another reason why I wanted to have you on the show. We'll start with that. Notre Dame always plays a tough schedule. I'm not sure when you put Michigan State on your schedule, but this Michigan State team is not like the old Michigan State teams, Nate. They are legit, led by a really good coach, so you know it'll be a tough contest on Sunday. Yeah, no, they'll be a really – I mean, Jeff's obviously – I think he's only in his maybe third season now, and he's done extremely well. And, you know, for us, like, it, it makes total sense to get them on our schedule now and start doing home-and-homes, you know, when they're only a couple hours away from us. And, you know, they're going to be a quality game that, um, you know, is going to help us from an RPI standpoint, help us grow as a team. And, yeah, no, we're, we're excited about that opportunity, kind of back where near I grew up to. So – get to go back near home and, um, you know, play against a, play against a really good team. So we're, we're, we're definitely excited about it. Nate, do me a favor. Since you said it's back where you grew up, do me a favor, take your time. It's a podcast. We have time. Remind me where you grew up, how big your family is, how long you played pro soccer and when did you get the bug for coaching? That's a lot, but you know, start from the beginning and work your way to where you're at now, if you can. Yeah, so I grew up in the Detroit area, um, kind of north of Detroit in a town called Rochester, uh, played club for Vardar um, and, you know, had a really, I mean, I think an awesome kind of youth soccer career in terms of great coaching, great teammates, got a lot of great development, very thankful for for all of that. And then um, I think was blessed to go on and even have a better college experience like I had I think one of the best coaches of all time in Bobby Clark and I I love playing for him and great coach but a better guy I mean that's what I always tell anybody that asks me like cares about all his players one through 30 um, the same way takes the time to connect with them pour into them um, help them more you know just with life um, you know and and I think that's something that I I was inspired by and I, I think I think by the time I got done with college like that was I, I wanted to get into coaching at some point. I think a lot of it was because of Bobby Clark. It wasn't something that I had planned maybe, you know, when I was in high school or even my freshman, sophomore year, but just kind of going through the, my own kind of journey in college. And, you know, not every day is awesome. You know, I think you go into college soccer and I think you you have to expect that like, there's going to be huge challenges and huge adversity. And um, you're not going to agree sometimes with the coach, whether it's playing time or, you know, even tactically, but I think Bobby Clark was a guy that always kind of was always willing to sort of go in the the valleys with you when those times happen, help you through those and help you grow stronger. And I think I was inspired by that. And hopefully that's what my players get to. As I always tell them, I was like, hey, I want you to have the most challenging experience in the country, but I'll guarantee you that like when those tough times come, you know, we'll, we'll help you through them, not only help you through them, but hopefully help you grow from them and get, and get better. And um, and then I was fortunate enough to be able to play for a few years after college. Um, wasn't a long, long career, but um, I think it was great. I actually played for three different um, coaches or three different teams in three different years. Uh, 
whether it's Chicago Fire, um, Charleston Battery, and then the Carolina Railhawks. And actually, um, one of my assistants now is, is is Martin Rennie, who I played for at Carolina, who I I loved as a player and um, get to learn from now as a as a coach as he's taken some time off from you know him his head coaching career and you know he's helping us out and that that's just been an amazing amazing experience too just having him back on his staff um, and working with him and learning from him. So who were your coaches at the other two stops? Because obviously I was there with Martin Rennie. In fact, I actually Martin will tell you the story that. I did the game when they won a USL, I think, D2 championship with Cleveland City. And I came home and yeah. told the Wellmans, hey, I found your new coach and they hired him. So I, I feel like I get a little credit there because I love Martin Rennie as Good. well. I knew he was on your staff. But who were those other two coaches? I played for Mike Anheuser at Charleston. And then I played for um, Dave Sarakin, um at Chicago. So um which all all three different different coaches different styles and I think if you want to get into coaching you should be sort of a you know maybe a journeyman pro because you get to play with different people and you know luckily I wasn't someone that maybe a club wanted me to stick around for a long time so I get to go around and, and have three different unique experiences which helped me in the coaching standpoint which so I just got to learn and see different styles different ways of communicating you know different tactical ways to play and I think that that helped me prepare um, you know, to have some, you know, a good base knowledge before I got into coaching. All right, Nate. And then when did the move to women's soccer, when did that happen and how? Honestly, I think the, the biggest reason I got into women's soccer is I was trying to get back to Michigan. I was engaged at the time to my now wife, and I was just trying to figure out if I could, you know, how to get a job back in Michigan once I got done playing um, because I, my first job was actually an assistant at a division, a men's assistant at a division three school in Georgia called Covenant College. And I was there and, and really wanted to try to get back near my, my, my wife who was working at that time in Michigan. Um, and I got the assistant women's job at Western Michigan. There, I don't know if it was necessarily like, Hey, I really want to get into women's coaching, or I just, I just wanted to coach and I wanted to be back in Michigan. And once I kind of got into it at Western Michigan, I, I really liked the women's game and, um, really felt like that it was something that I, you know, just, I, I think, I think building trust, building those, those relationships are really important. They're in the men too, but I think that was, that's something that is sort of innate in me and it's natural for me. And, um, and then I, I felt like the women really responded to, you know, the way I coached and communicated. And that was something that I just, I kind of stuck with. And luckily it's turned out to be a really good career and I'm very thankful for it now. Did you go directly from Western Michigan to your alma mater, Notre Dame, or were there some other stops in there? So I was an assistant at Western Michigan, um, and then I had a handful of stops. So I went to be an assistant at the University of Miami down in Florida, actually about a year and a half. And then I came back as the head coach at Western Michigan for four years, then was the head coach at Liberty in Virginia for a year, and then actually came back as an assistant at Notre Dame for a season and then became the head coach when um, when when the, the the head coach that I worked for retired or or stepped away. And who was the head coach that retired or stepped away? Teresa Romagnolo. Um, so she she stepped away for a couple of years. She's actually back in coaching now. She's she's the head coach at St. Mary's out in California. So she I think she took some time off really to spend time with her. She had she had some young kids at the time. And um, I'm happy she's back in, in it because she's a fantastic coach. And, you know, the game really needs her. So I was lucky enough to be the lead play-by-play -play guy for years back in the day when Fox Soccer had the NSCAA game of the week. And I went up there for a women's game when Randy Waldrum was the coach. Of course, we all know 
what he does. You have to face him now in the ACC and what he just did for Nigeria. And then I was there when Bobby Clark was the coach and the they had just built that new stadium there as well. And what a great university, Notre Dame. I mean, you played there, obviously, Nate, so you love it, right? Like what, what makes it's just a wonderful university, right? Everything from the support, the facilities, the funding we get, the amount of support staff we have, like it's a beautiful place. Like I, but I, I think what makes it special, what what I loved about it, and I kind of touched on this, my experience with Bobby Clark is like it, I do believe it, it's potentially the most challenging place to really be a student athlete at in the entire country. And I I think, you know, we obviously compete at the highest level athletically. You have to go into a classroom and compete at the highest level academically, but then you're held to an extremely high standard as a person. And with all that, like there will be tough days. Like, I mean, the one thing I always guarantee people is like, hey, if you come play for me, like it will be very challenging. But what I loved about Notre Dame is like when those challenges come, I think the people that work at Notre Dame don't just come here to do a job. Like, you know, there's almost like a little bit of a higher calling and there's an army of people who are willing to go in the depths with you when those those hard times come and help you through it and help you grow through it. And, you know, whether it was coaches or, you know, academic advisors, professors, you know, sports psychologists, you know, a um, you know, someone on the strength staff, like I just felt like people were always willing to go above and beyond to just help you and nurture you. And, um, and that's why I love my experience so much. And that's why I feel like I'm so blessed to be back here at a place like this that did so much for me. And hopefully, you know, we're providing those same, same type of experiences for all of our student athletes as well. There was Nate Norman, the head coach of the Notre Dame women's soccer team. You can check them out on Sunday on the Big Ten Network. I'll have the call with Jackie Manny as they'll be in East Lansing taking on the Michigan State Spartans. And Nate Norman, the expectations are high at Notre Dame, right? Like it's, I'm assuming it's try to win the ACC regular season, try to win the ACC tournament, and try to win some national championships. Is that fair to say? Yeah, we want all three every year. That's the... That's the goal. So, um, you know, ultimately, like, yeah, you're at a place like this. The goal is we want to be the best team in the country. We want to win national championships. That's, you know, we don't, you can't do that on day one. So we understand it's always a process and our ability to kind of grow through the season and use the challenging schedule that we have to continue to get better. And hopefully by the end of the season, we're, we're playing our best and we can make that, we can make those, those runs in the ACC tournament, the, the NCAA tournament, but yeah, the ultimate goal is always, you know, we want to win national championships every single year. Nate, I do remember calling that game with you. Even more, I remember the fact that you always were super nice, super cordial, always had a smile for me and a couple words. And I think that's how you live your life. And you also live your life kind of like an open book. Uh, a couple years ago, I think even before it was, for lack of a better word, cool, you stepped up and said, hey, we all have mental health issues. We all need help. That was a big move by you. Talk us through that decision to come out and tell people, hey, even I have to deal with that sometimes as well. Nate, I was really proud of you, and I know that was important for you to do. I think people, you know, everybody has their own individual struggles. They've had their own individual experiences. They have their own, you know, in, in, individual things. They're always they're always working on. And I think, you know, when it comes to mental health, like you can't do it alone. Like, I think it shows strength to be able to be willing to let other people in and help you with that, whether it's, you know, seeing someone talking with someone, helping you learn, you know, what are the, 
things that you need to be able to do to create that balance and kind of that, that rest in your life and to slow things down. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly, if I'm, I'm not ashamed to ever tell anyone, like, um, I'm actually proud to tell people like, yeah, like I have my own mental health struggles. I struggle with stress and anxiety and sometimes depression. And it, those, those are things that I'm constantly working at and I'm constantly trying to find that balance in my life. And, and when I, you know, tell my players, it's like, you do not have to do this stuff alone. I think four years in college are, they're, they're an exciting time. They should be four of your best years, but they're also four years where you're going to go through a lot. And like, you need that support system around you to help, um, you know, you grow through those things. And a lot of times it has to do with, with mental health. And I think, you know, players are constantly, you know, dealing with it and, um, and coaches as well. And I think sometimes even as coaches, like we want to, we want to act like that we have the thickest skin in the world and nothing ever gets to us. And the reality is like, we're real people. And I think it's okay to be even vulnerable with your team sometimes and letting them know like, Hey, like I have my own struggles and just, just like, you know, you know, you, you potentially do too. And we're all working through this journey together and hopefully growing from it and giving each other grace and forgiveness at times, but also, um, you know, knowing that like we need each other to, to help us through all this. What's your message to coaches that are listening right now to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, hearing Nate Norman now in a sixth season leading the Notre Dame women's soccer team. Again, they'll face Michigan State Sunday, 1 o'clock on the Big Ten Network. If there is somebody listening right now that is going through some adversity, doesn't know where to turn, doesn't know what to do, what's your advice for them? One, I would just say, like, it's absolutely normal. I think coaches, like, we take on so much, you know, we sometimes put our identities in like our wins and losses. And I'm guilty of that too. And one, that's not where your identity is. Like, you know, like I believe like, you know, for one, our self-worth is comes from a variety of things in life, how we treat people, how we serve people, the difference we make in people's lives, whether it's our family, but also like in our, in our players. And those things are the things that we can certainly control, but you're also going to make mistakes and giving yourself grace you know, and forgiveness for that is, is good too. But I think everybody like, you know, I'm blessed to be at a school where we have sports psychologists that I lean on, um, you know, but I also think having someone, if you need that extra help, like, you know, finding um, someone to talk to that's a professional is a good thing, but also like leaning on your friends, your coaching friends and, and sometimes being vulnerable with them and letting them know when those struggles are coming um, or when they're happening is, is good because I guarantee you whatever, you know, someone's going through out there, there's hundreds of other coaches that are probably going through the exact same thing simultaneously. Um, and they're feeling those same, those same stresses. And, um, you know, I think as coaches, like we, we, we compete against each other and a lot of ways we make each other better because we're all, you know, so competitive and, and there's so many great coaches out there, but we also need to be able to lean on each other as well, because, um, what we do is, is amazing. And it's amazing someone to pay us to do these jobs, but it's also, it's, it's stressful, you know? And, um, and if you pour your heart and soul into it, like that, that stress and anxiety can, can get to you sometimes. And you have to have people to lean on and help you through those, those, those times and, um, and to be able to have that balance in your life. And I think if I've heard you right, the decision to bring Martin Rennie on, I think is a good one. There's some coaches that are fearful of bringing on a big time coach as an assistant that, you know, might want to take over or whatever. I think your story is, Hey, I want to be better. I want to be better personally. I want to be better professionally. And if I surround myself with people that are like-minded like that, then I have the confidence to do that. And it's only going to help me. Is that fair to say? 
I mean, my whole goal is just to continue to grow and get better. I mean, I'm, whether it's, you know, my off season, I'm always trying to go spend time with different coaches that whether I know or don't know and see how they do things. But I mean, I think, I mean, I, I really think Martin's one of the best coaches in the world. Like I, I really do the way he communicates, the way he thinks about the game, the way he inspires people. Um, so not only to have someone like that for, you know, our players, but again, for, for me to just watch and learn from and hear his opinions, like, I mean, I, my goal is to always hire staff that I believe like, you know, are better than me in, in, in a lot of ways. So I can continue to learn and grow from them. And if I'm not doing that, then, you know, I'm not growing and I'm also not giving, you know, my players, you know, the, the right amount of resources and um, that they, they need to help them, you know, reach, reach their goals, because I, I know that I can't do it alone. And, you know, I need people that are highly, highly skilled around me to, to help serve our players, but also help help make me better make no mistake nate you and i have kind of we run into each other at airports and that type of thing and i kind of told you i hope i get to call your team sometime i'm giddy about the fact that i get to call your team and then also that martin's on the bench as well it'll be one o'clock on sunday what kind of team will we see what's the best way to describe your current notre dame women's soccer team nate norman we just want to be a team that um we want to press other teams we want to have the ball we want to be in your face and we want to go after teams. We're an attacking minded team that wants to score a lot of goals and make the other teams super, super uncomfortable. Um, you know, we, we will go after teams. That's, that's the one thing I'll, I'll guarantee you. We're going to play a very high risk, high reward type of type of style, much rather win a game, you know, five to one or five to two than one to nothing. Like we want, we want to have a team that, um, and, and the players that we recruit and the, what we try to instill in them is, yeah, we want to be a daring risk-taking attacking team that, um, you know, is, is constantly pushing numbers forward and, and hopefully making the other, other team have a very difficult experience on that day. Can't wait. That game again, will be one o'clock Sunday on the big 10 network against Michigan state. Final question, Bobby Clark, you mentioned you played for him, a legend of the game, the NSCAA, now United Soccer Coaches love Bobby. Ironically, Monday, I have Washington, Jamie Clark, taking on the Ohio State Buckeyes, and you probably know him pretty well. He also is an established member of United Soccer Coaches. I know you're super busy, but I also know that you are a member of United Soccer Coaches. How has that association helped you, Nate? I mean, you mentioned Jamie. I mean, Jamie's another guy that I played for. You know, he was an assistant when I was a player here. So, I mean, I've had all those guys, you know, it's amazing kind of looking at like the types of people that I've been able to be around as a player, as a coach. But I, you know, I, I talked about like having community, um, you know, whether it's for just learning and growing or having support, you know, with like, you like mental health and things like that. Like that's, that's what I see. Like the, you know, United Soccer Coaches is, you know, we all compete against each other and we're, you know, obviously that helps make us better, but at the same time, like having the community to, to learn from and grow from and to lean on each other when, when you have, you know, your struggles, like, I think that's what that, this coaching community is about and, you know, helping us grow so we can, you know, pour into our players and, and help them, you know, through the, the challenging circumstance, help them learn and grow in soccer, but help them to be able to be prepared for life too. And, you know, for me, that's what this whole coaching organization is really all about. And that's what I've been so blessed by and have so many people that have poured into me and taken care of me and, um, and continue to do so. And, um, and hopefully we can give a, you know, I can give a little bit back as well as I continue to be supported from kind of both ends of it. Well, that's awesome. Give, uh, give Martin my best. I know we'll be talking to you later as we get ready for Sunday's game for the big 10 network, Nate Norman, one of my all time favorites, 
glad that I had a chance to work with him in the broadcast booth as well. Want to wish Notre Dame the best of luck. We'll see you Sunday on the Big Ten Network, 1 o'clock against Michigan State. Thank you, Dean. I appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Nate Norman, what a special young man and a special coach indeed. And it was awesome that he opened up about his mental health as well. That leads in perfectly to our final guest as we'll be joined by Lindsey Wilson, the founder of Positive Performance Training and the Mindset Coach Academy. Lindsey has a six-step positive performance framework that she will break down. Lindsey Wilson, when we return to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. As a soccer coach, you're no stranger to developing your players, but how are you developing your own expertise? As a United Soccer Coaches member, you receive access to a range of resources, like our online learning platform, The Training Ground, to aid in the growth and enhancement of your coaching skills and career. From coaching education courses to lifestyle services, take advantage of new opportunities and member benefits with an annual United Soccer Coaches membership for just $125. Join the home of all coaches today at unitedsoccercoaches.org. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. What a great show it has been. Ian McIntyre, the top man of the reigning champion Syracuse men's soccer team. Shade Ayindi, the head coach of the Albany women's soccer team. And Nate Norman, the head coach of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish women's soccer team. Nate actually took some time to talk about the importance of mental health and the right mindset, which leads us appropriately to our next guest. Her name is Lindsay Wilson, founder of Positive Performance Training and the Mindset Coach Academy. Over the last decade, Lindsay has worked with athletes, sports coaches, and mindset coach entrepreneurs to help them improve their performance in sports, life, and business. She owes her career as a professional athlete to her own mindset coach in high school who taught her how to harness the power of her own mind. Now she's paying it forward. I love those kind of stories. Because of the impact mindset work had and continues to have on her own life, Lindsay has devoted her life to helping others unlock their own potential. She's worked with athletes from colleges across the nation, including Stanford, Dartmouth, University of Alabama, and Ohio State and has worked with Olympians and athletes in the WNBA and NFL to teach them how to play the mental game. Today, she's using her platform to equip and empower a new generation of coaches to impact lives on a deeper level by certifying them in mindset coaching. Lindsay has a six-step positive performance framework that we will get in today, but let's first meet her. Lindsay, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Dean, it is such a pleasure and an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're delighted to have you. And this has been a big focus on our show pretty much every week, if not every month. And let me say also, Lindsay, before we get into it, I feel like both of us need to thank Megan Carroll, who brought your name forward in a truly positive way. Megan's great. She is one of our certified coaches. She's also big in the soccer world, um, coaching and playing herself. And, you know, it's like, you have these people that you train and they're building their businesses and they're putting good work out into the world. And I couldn't be more proud to have her in our community. Well said. And your career is fascinating. I touched on some key points, but I'm sure it's deeper than that. But one of the things that catches my eye right away is that, you know, that mental training can impact an athlete starting at a young age. Let's start there diving into the importance of starting at a young age. I get this question a lot. And I think um, 
you know, there's, there's different phases to mindset coaching or mental performance coaching. You know, what the Olympians are working on is going to be different than what a five-year-old is working on, but the core principles, and you'll see this if you've been around young people in any capacity, you know, I have four, I have four daughters under eight. So the, the ability to manage big feelings, to deal with failure, to have the interpersonal stuff going on with coaches and potentially fans and teammates, uh, regulating emotions, which I think I might've already said already, managing your thoughts. Those are universal skills that anybody in and out of sports can, can work on. I'm not going to say master, cause I don't think you really ever master it, but you can work on it. And maybe the language is a little bit different. Maybe the exercises are a little bit different. And as you get up higher and higher, you know, you probably have some ability to manage your emotions going into big games, for example, but guess what? The stakes keep getting higher, right? So we have to continue to practice this stuff. And, and I would say that there are core principles that at any age, in any sport, even outside of sport, that there are really good things that we can be teaching young people. We're going to get to your six-step positive performance framework. I promise you that. But before that, I have two more questions that I want you to dive into. And that is, how using visualization can help you achieve everything you want. What does that mean exactly, Lindsay? Well, the principles that we teach have to do with, you know, there, there's two parts of our brain, right? There's the subconscious and the conscious. And consciously, we can say, you know, I'll take my example. I want to play division one in professional basketball, right? And I can do the work, meaning I was getting up at 530 in the morning. I was practicing. I had personal coaches. I was, you know, shooting a thousand made shots a week. I was doing all of that because my conscious brain was like, this is what I want. But there's always the part of our subconscious that values safety and security and doesn't want change, even if that change is good for you. So there's always this piece of our brain that is holding us back. And one of the ways that visualization really helps is it speaks in the language of the subconscious. So we think of visualization as visuals, which it is. Um, and visuals are a really important um, way to communicate with the subconscious, but there's other pieces within that as well. The use of emotions, the use of all five senses, plus I'll give you two extra, which are body awareness and body movement. So we think of visualization as just visualizing, and that is an important way that our subconscious communicates. But we can also use all five senses plus emotions, like how we are feeling like emotionally and also how our body feels in space or, or the movement. And that's obviously very important for athletes. So when we think of visualization, it's not just the visual part, it's more of a total experience, but that's really getting your subconscious brain on board with, like I said, in this case, playing at the division one level so that my subconscious is lining up with what I say that I want. Otherwise it's a little bit like trying to drive, putting your brake, putting your brake on and your gas. Like you might make some progress, but you're always sort of pulling yourself back. And I think a lot of people feel that way with goals um, and things that they want to accomplish. It's like, I'm working hard. I really, really want it. But there's that part of your brain that's going to be holding yourself back. And so that's one principle that we teach that's really important because once we understand how the human brain works, we feel less judgmental or in our own head about how our brain works. All human brains work the same way. They all do. And so when we learn that, then we can kind of step above and be like, okay, if this is how it works, then this is how I can work with it instead of against it. You're in the wisdom of Lindsay Wilson, the founder of Positive Performance Training and the Mindset Coach 
Academy. As I mentioned, we're going to get to that six-step positive performance framework. One more question before we get there, Lindsay, and that is, I understand that you also have a focus on teaching athletes how to focus on the present and bounce back from making mistakes. For all of your coaches, this is one of those, I think it's kind of like the low-hanging fruit. And we'll talk about a couple others in the framework, but I think you know, we've all been there, whether we were a coach or an athlete or a parent or just a spectator where we saw an athlete at any age, make a mistake. And then oftentimes what happens is more mistakes come <laughs> or a meltdown comes, or they get pulled out of the game and they can't recover. And those are the crucial moments that if we're just looking to make one change and again, low hanging fruit, if we give athletes the ability to regulate their emotions in that moment. Because remember, we've been there, right? I mean, that is like, like in a lot of ways, public humiliation, especially in a team sport, right? You've made a mistake. And then oftentimes we get onto the negative train, which spirals us into this whole thing in our head. And it's really hard if you don't have something in those moments to cling to that you've practiced, that you can go back to, to let the sort of negative train just take you away. And so we teach something called the reset or mistake ritual, which is not complicated. And I, we can talk about this in the framework later, but having something in those moments besides just a high five or like, it's okay, Susie, you got it next time. Not that any of that stuff is wrong, but to have something really concrete that athletes are bought into, that they believe in, potentially the whole team has done together, does a couple things. It gives you that tool in that moment. It also normalizes the experience of failure. Because there's no way we're going through life, a single game, a single practice without screwing up at some point. And so when we're all in and be like, okay, this is part of it. This isn't something to avoid. I mean, we don't want them, but they're going to happen. We know they're going to happen. Let's get a plan. It really helps sort of everybody get on board with like, these are the ups and downs. And so that total mindset of like, this is, this is part of it, right? We're not going to go through unscathed. We're not going to not make mistakes. So we might as well have a plan. You can hear the passion and the energy coming right through this podcast with Lindsay Wilson, the founder of Positive Performance Training and the Mindset Coach Academy. As I mentioned, she has a six-step positive performance framework. And Lindsay, you've got the floor. Let's break down that six-step positive performance framework. Yeah. And I'll also mention that, you know, we talked earlier about our ebook, which is how to become a mental performance coach. And this whole framework is in there. So if anybody's driving or working out or something, and you know, you always want to take notes. And if you can't, uh, we'll give you the, sh the link for your show notes, but it's on our website too at positiveperformancetraining.com. So one of the biggest questions I get, and I would also say sometimes don't get, but I know is a big barrier for coaches and probably some of the ones that you're listening. If you're passionate about mental training, Sometimes it's almost like there's too much information out there. You don't know where to start. It feels overwhelming. You want to teach your athletes everything. And I would say that most athletes and most teams kind of think that they have unique problems when it comes to the mental game. And I would say that they don't <laughs> like most athletes, like I said, from the five-year-old to the Olympian have like these core things that at least in the beginning, they really need to focus on first in my experience. And I think that there's a lot of freedom in just saying, you know what? You don't need to learn all of this stuff. Just stick to these six things. You can work on them, get this understanding, and then you can build from there. There's no end to the work you can do, but these are the ones that I think 
kind of um, hit the nail on the head for the majority of the people really at any age. So the first is how the brain works. Just as I said earlier, like really understanding that our brain is always trying to keep us safe. It's always trying to keep things the same. You know, when, when I talk to athletes, I will say, you know, as a basketball player, I was trying to get better every single day. Like every single day I was trying to get better, but there was a part of my brain that did not want that because that's new and scary and unknown. So as I'm trying to get better, there's a part of me that's like, you know, the best way to survive today is for today to look a lot like yesterday. And that includes not getting better. And I think when you understand really how the brain works, and again, the human brain works, how your brain works, how my brain works, there's a little bit less emotion attached to the ups and downs of trying to be successful because it's hard. There's a part of your brain that doesn't want that. So just understanding that I think is really, really important. The second step is really a mindset management tool. So this is where we would introduce visualization or some cognitive behavioral therapy uh, principles, which include the idea that whatever our thoughts or where whatever our feelings are, whatever our emotions are, are coming from a thought, right? Like life isn't happening to us and creating emotions. We are creating them based on the things that we're thinking. Um, and so this work can be pretty general, or you can go really deep into this, but just understanding some basic tools of, again, like emotional regulation and, um, again, understanding the power of our thoughts and that we can shift our thoughts. And I would just give you a simple example, like that's a pretty common one for athletes. Like, let's say you go into practice and you have the thought that your coach doesn't like you. How is practice going to go? How is that season going to go? You're going to make that true. Every little thing they say to you, you're going to take personally. Every little slight or every time they're stressed and they act a certain way, you're going to take that all to reinforce the idea that the coach doesn't like you. How successful are you going to be? How much fun are you going to have? Versus shifting it to, I don't know, something like the coach only yells when they believe in you or, or just trying that out for a single practice. My coach cares about me. That's why they're pushing me. Whatever the thought shift is, it's going to color your experience. And so letting people understand that, and we have some exercises we teach that help them really see the benefit of just playing with your thoughts. You don't even have to switch them forever. Just understanding that the way you think about something colors your experience of it. So that's step two. Step three is where we get into pre-practice. So we teach a very basic, but quite um, impactful five-minute pre-practice routine. And I would say that speaking of low-hanging fruit, I would say that this is one of them because any kind of, we, we teach something called the braver and it incorporates breathing and visualization and, and, and many different things, but it's only five minutes. I mean, how many soccer coaches right now have a very in-depth warm-up routine. You know, everybody's into the dynamic warm-up and the bands and the da, 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 and all the stuff. And that's great. Really, really important because we know that if you don't do that, you might get hurt. But we assume that the brain's going to come on board with that. And sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. But people have lives off, off, off field, so to speak. And so giving that time. But again, you're also learning to connect the goals that you say that you have with your subconscious and the work that you're about to do. So it's really powerful 
It's really great when teams get it together because then they have that routine. Step four is the pre-competition. I think this is um, one that can take a little bit longer, but it also, you can make little small tweaks with pre-competition that really make a big difference. And I would say just the first step of helping athletes, you know, I'm especially thinking of like, I don't know, like the 15, 16 year old, like club soccer player, like they've played a lot of games up until then, like all the tournaments, all the, you know, jamborees, all the things and like helping them understand that there's a lot of knowledge and, and self-awareness if they take the time to recognize what's worked for them in the past and having that awareness of really where they need to be in pre-competition. Some people need to be more pumped up, excited, if you will. Some people need to be more relaxed. But a lot of athletes don't take the time to really recognize those patterns. And once they do, understanding that then we're going back to step one and two, where they recognize that they have the ability based on their brain to get themselves more ramped up or to get themselves less ramped up, depending on where they need to be. Here's what most athletes do. They wait until the first couple minutes of the game to decide how good they are at soccer that day, or they let the other team and who they're playing determine how ready they are. They let college scouts in the stands determine whether they're nervous or not, instead of taking that ownership for themselves. So that would be pre-competition. In competition is what we talked about already, which is a mistake ritual. The key with the mistake ritual or the reset ritual is really doing it in practice. So we teach, it's very simple. Like it's it's simple, but it's decided by the individual or by the team collectively. So what they do is, let's say they, you know, miss a penalty kick or something. They take a deep breath. They have a reset word that they have chosen already. And they say it at the top of the breath. And then they breathe out. Oftentimes they'll have a hand signal too. It depends on the sport, you know, like swimming, they might not be able to do that, right? So, but in soccer, they probably would. So they would take a deep breath, say their reset word with their hand signal and breathe out. This sounds ridiculously simple, but the key is, is that they've done this routine every water break, every uh, break in drills, every screw up in drills in practice, every before practice, every after practice, like they have learned this tool and it has become more and more and more powerful. So we don't wait until the mistake happens to decide the mistake ritual or to decide to have a mistake ritual. This is something that has been practiced ahead of time and decided ahead of time and really etched into their brain that this is this trigger that allows them in that moment to really have an anchor. Because again, otherwise they're going on the negative train. So that's step five. And then step six is our post-competition routine. And this can be as simple as, you know, you can use the agile method, which is what went well, what didn't go well? What can I do better next time? We have a, a worksheet that we do. Some of my other students have come up with different questions. I would say it the questions mad, the exact questions matter less than just doing it and getting into the routine because those questions really are allowing someone to, in that moment, gain as much information as possible to improve. Because here's what happens if you don't have a post-competition routine. Again, when I'm thinking about low-hanging fruit, I would say post-competition is one of them too, because it's really like a five-minute routine. What happens if you don't have a post-competition routine? Generally, athletes either feel great 
because they played well, they scored, they won, whatever. Or they feel terrible because the opposite happened. Neither one of those responses actually help them improve. And so we teach a principle called critiquing, not criticizing. And this, again, is a mindset shift that really allows athletes to learn to gather all that information instead of getting super emotional. Because again, if they don't have this tool, they feel great after competition or they feel terrible. Maybe they start blaming other people. Maybe they start trying to make themselves feel better, or maybe they're just feeling great because they played well. But again, they're not gathering that information to actually get better. But a lot of people avoid that because of the emotions, right? They are like, okay, God, thank God I played well. Let me just move right on and just ride this. And they don't really have a process for, and they don't really, they've never been taught to look objectively without emotions at how they played. And once they get in the habit of that, man, there's like a, just a gold mine of information so they can get, improve every single time. So that's the six step process. Again, I know it's a lot, but it's for free on our website. If you go um, download our, how to become a mental performance coach, it's all there. It's all broken down. Well, let's take the time to say it clearly, the ebook and everything else. We're all about promotion on this show. I want people to learn more. I think your message is strong. So where can they find the ebook? What is your website? What's your social media? If we want to learn all things about Lindsay Wilson, founder of Positive Performance Training and the Mindset Coach Academy, where can we find you? Thanks, Dean. Yeah. So positiveperformancetraining.com. And for that specific ebook, there's a, I think it says free guide. It's how to become a mental performance coach. That's totally free. So that, and that has a six step framework and it has a lot of other questions that people have about becoming a mindset coach and a mental performance coach. And then my Instagram is at Lindsay positive perform. So those two places is where you probably get the most information about what we do and our certification program and all that. And she spells Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y. Look, I love doing this podcast. I've been doing it every week for a long time. But Lindsay, I get paid to do this podcast. You clearly get paid to do what you do. How does that work? So our main uh, training right now is our four-month certification. So my process as being a mindset coach was initially I was like, I had learned mindset coaching and made a huge difference in my career. I saw so many of my friends and teammates and competitors really fall through the cracks, like especially at the college level, right? It's sink or swim and they just weren't getting the support. Now this was 20 years ago. It's changed a little bit, but not that much. And I started looking around and was like, okay, someone taught this to me. You don't have it, but what, like why? And so I started teaching it and I was playing professionally at the time. So I would just come and work with a couple college teams. And I kept hearing, why have I not heard this before? Why have I not learned this before? And I was like, I don't know. So then I started teaching it a lot. And my mission, mission just really became like, can I, how many athletes can I get this to? Because this is not only sport and career changing information. It's really life-changing because it did that for me. And so, but soon I, I started recognizing that I was only one person. I was just, you know, meeting with one-on-one or maybe a team one-on-15, but like that was limited. Right. And I saw so many coaches wanting to either do it with their teams or do it, you know, with their skill work training business or start their own mindset coaching business. And so I started certifying coaches in mindset and mental performance coaching and visualization. Um, Cause the way that we teach visualization is a little bit different. 
And so I started doing that and we've had, I think we're on our ninth cohort and coaches are taking it and they're starting their own mindset and mental performance coaching businesses. Um, some are making multiple six figures. Some of them are just applying it to their team or their kids and really everything in the, in between. So a lot of people are getting to that point where they're like, should I quit my day job? Okay. I'm going to do this full time. So that's really cool to see. And we support them through those, all those phases, but it's been awesome because then each one of those people is taking mindset coaching to like their specific niche. And maybe that's sports related. Um, we have an equestrian expert that takes it to equestrian athletes. We have people that take it to physical therapy. We have people that take it to all different sports. They have people that take it just to goalies, you know? So like there's, and even within all those niches, like people have these unique stories and these unique experiences. And so many of them have coaching experience that that really takes their ability to connect with athletes to the next level, or they have playing experience. And so it's been really cool to see these sort of like tentacles of mindset and mental performance coaching, going to all these places that I would never go, right? Like I'm only one person. And so it's been really fun to watch the certification grow. And then of course they have a whole community. Like when I started this, I had like one other friend mentor that did mental coaching. Right. And like now, and even now it's like, everybody's online, everybody's in different parts of the country or different parts of the world. And like, you're sitting behind your computer working on this stuff. And now there's this whole other community, even without me, that they're all connecting with each other and supporting each other. They're like working with each other's kids. It's like amazing. It's so cool. So that's how we, that's, that's what our business is, is our certification mostly. There's also some other courses and you can get the mistake ritual. Um, we have a workshop on that. We have the braver, we have some lower cost things for people that are just getting started because that's part of our mission too. Not everybody needs the, the four month certification. So we have some lower cost things on there too, Ton and tons of free stuff, including our podcast. And Lindsay, because repetition is information, they can learn about all of your classes at different levels, the free ones, the lower ones, the top one, where again, let's say that website one more time. Positiveperformancetraining.com. Okay. Lindsay Wilson, founder of Positive Performance Training and the Mindset Coach Academy. The other thing I love about being the host of this podcast is meeting people like you. You just told me that you have four daughters under eight. You look amazing, by the way. <laughs> I would love your elevator speech. I want to know who Lindsay Wilson is. Where'd you grow up? How'd you get into basketball? How'd you end up in Seattle? Born and raised in Seattle, two older brothers. So I basically did whatever they, they did and really felt, I, actually, I was a pretty serious soccer player. I have to say, I don't I love to say that in front of soccer people because I am sure that I am not good now, but um, I was pretty serious about basketball and soccer um, for many years and then really had the passion for basketball and played, you know, and all the things and then got recruited and played at Iowa state. Then I played overseas. I got drafted in the WNBA um, was in, in on and off training squads and practice squads and, um, and did that whole dance and played overseas for about seven seasons. So basically my whole twenties, I was overseas. Um, and that was, um, as amazing and crazy as you can imagine. Um, super fun moved back when I was about 30, I had been working on my business the whole time and was really ready to, to do it full time. And so I did came back and met my husband, got married a few years later and, um, have, you know, had four daughters in eight years. So Actually, no, I had four daughters in seven years, That's yeah. pretty amazing. but now they're, they're their a little older. You know, we always talk about our moms, dads, our husbands, our wives, and we never say their names. How about your husband's names and your daughter's names? Oh, thanks. Yeah. My husband's name is Shan. It's great. Cause he understands the mental side too. Cause he played football. And then my oldest is Joanna. 
Then we have Maxine, Gracie, and Charlie. And Charlie's just almost 14 months. So our youngest is just learning to walk. She took a couple steps the other day and then decided she wasn't in to that right now. Everybody picks her up and carts her around. I'll walk into the room and like, she'll be upside down. I'm like, oh my God, okay, can someone put her down, please? <laughs> that is so incredible. I love it. Four yeah. wonderful daughters and you're doing great things. Lindsay Wilson, the founder of Positive Performance Training and the Mindset Coach Academy. We end with something I like to do. I call it my last word or in case you missed it. So Lindsay Wilson, this has been a great show. We got power players on the show including you, and I mean that. But if they heard nothing but what they're going to hear right now about what you do as the founder of Positive Performance Training and the Mindset Coach Academy, what do you want to leave them with? I love this question. I think what I would say is the mind and the mindset and our thoughts really create our whole experience of our life. And what we really teach is one, we teach how to teach this in sports but first and foremost, coaches also have human brains that they need to learn to manage and train and use better. And that's really what we do. At the core of what we do is we coach people to improve and optimize their life by learning how to optimize their brain. Full stop, period, and amen. So glad that Megan and Carol pushed your name forward. Lindsay Wilson, what a great way to wrap up a big time show. Once again, Lindsay Wilson is the founder of Positive Performance Training and the Mindset Coach Academy. That website, one more time, Lindsay. PositivePerformanceTraining.com. We'll love up on those daughters and keep doing great things for so many different teams and people. Really enjoyed having you on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Dean, thank you. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much to everybody that makes this show possible. Thank you, Lindsay. And some of those people are Bailey Conklin, Michael Kadama, Brandon Milburn, Erica Dyer, great people at United Soccer Coaches led by their CEO, Jeff Van Dusen. And my producer is Colin Thrash. For each and every one of them and all of you, I'm Dean Linky. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. Thanks for listening to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. To learn more about League Apps, find them at leagueapps.com or as League Apps on all of the social networks. And to learn more about United Soccer Coaches, visit us at unitedsoccercoaches.org.